um, we're in a new series called, a little bit of a provocative title, What God Can't Do, What God Can't Do. So right off the bat, let me just say this. It's not meant in a smart aleck way, and it's not meant in a derogatory way, and it's not meant in a way like where we don't think God is all-powerful or all-knowing or God is everywhere at one time. It's, it's nothing like that. It has more to do with just using the idea that there are certain things that God himself said that he can't do. For one, God can't change. I mean, I'm gonna, you guys think about that for a moment. God can't change, right? He can't change. God can't sin. God can't remember sin that you've asked him to forgive you for. That's a really important one. Isn't that nice not to have things thrown back up at you after you've confessed it? You know, when it says that he removes our sin from us, as far as the east is from the west, it actually uses this term. It's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Isn't that a wonderful term? The sea of forgetfulness, like never to be found again. So that when we use this idea, what God can't do, it's, it's a little bit just, it's provocative and it's fun to think of it that way. Today, uh, here's the subject and it's our beginning in this new series. So it's kind of wide and broad and um, just open it up to like, I hope all people can come into what I'm going to teach. Here, here's the thought right here. Uh, God can't change the past. And for a lot of people, that, that's not necessarily what you want to hear because a lot of people wish there was a way to change the past. I think as pastors, we spend a lot of time trying to talk people out of their past. And the truth of the matter is that that shouldn't be the way that you look at the past. And I recognize that sometimes for us, our past, maybe it's not something we did, something that was done to us, or maybe we are guilty of something. But either way, can you admit this to be true? That once you come into a relationship with Jesus, he can take even your past and do good things with it in your future. And so my statement has been, I didn't read this from somebody else's book or hear somebody else teach this. I've said this from day one in our church, so I lay claim to it. God cannot change your past, but he can alter your future. I know that to be true. I'm living proof of that, and I know that when God, when, when you are surrendered in relationship to him, I know what God can do in a person's life, and he is not a respecter of persons, by the way, so he doesn't play favorites. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. That's exactly right. And I wonder how many testimonies are in this room of people who can say, I do have a past, but that past was not what defined me. It was my future in Christ that defined me. It changed every. How many can say that? Let me just see. Yeah, I think it's the great majority of us. So that's what makes this then such a wonderful thing to teach on. And I, I hope to do two things today. I hope that if your past is an anchor, if your past has become a label, if your past is some kind of a hook, if your past is full of guilt and shame, if your past is something that you're embarrassed about, I hope today that the Lord can set you free from those things. I hope that you can walk out of this room different, not denying it, not having it like, well, it never happened because it doesn't get erased like that. But knowing that God can use all things, he can use even evil things to do good with. And that's the truth, and I'll show you from Scripture. So I hope that we can set you free if you struggle from that. And then the other thing, I hope that the arc of your future, you can get on board with what God wants to do going forward, not always looking behind you, not always living with something that's chasing you or something that you wish you could change. So what God can't do. If you're doing the online fill in the blanks, here's the first one. Um, God can't change the past, but God can use evil for good. He can use evil for good. That's scriptural. Uh, the very first time we're taught that, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it's the story of Joseph. And while I won't take the time to tell Joseph's entire life, because it is a, a long story, let me, let me condense it very quickly. Uh, Joseph is the youngest brother of what makes up the 12 tribes of Israel. 
and Joseph is favored. His father spoils him. God's hand is upon him. Uh, he has a unique way of hearing from God in that God gives him visions and dreams. And it's, it's really powerful, right? It's just really, it's awesome. Joseph's biggest mistake is that he feels like he needs to share all of these dreams and visions with people. And sometimes, can I just say, it doesn't have, it's, I didn't say it last night. I may not say it in the next one. Just, just for like between us, sometimes when God tells you something, it's not for the whole world. It's for you because the Bible says he was hated for his dreams. And here were one of his dreams that his father and his older brothers all bowed down to serve him. And he was so excited about that. <laughs> and guess who was not excited about that? His father and his brothers. And he shares that with them as though they would be like, oh, that's awesome. And they weren't. They began to hate him. And as his father spoiled him and did the favorite child thing, he ended up in a, in a terrible situation. His brothers were so jealous, so bitter, so angry, so full of violence that they actually plotted to murder him. And were thwarted by one of the brothers. Thwarted and faked his death sold him into slavery into Egypt. He ends up in prison, but God is with him. He rises and becomes uh, like in control of the prison other than the warden. He's got that gift of being able to interpret dreams. Uh, he ends up in Potiphar's house. I'm, I'm kind of moving through the story. Uh, Potiphar's wife has eyes. He's a very, very handsome kid, apparently, and uh, she has eyes for him, and he won't sleep with her because of his integrity, and that's how he ends up in prison. Uh, God was just with him, though, no matter what happened. And eventually, he rises to the second most powerful position in the most powerful nation on the earth at that time, Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh. He's the prime minister. And he finds himself uh, having had a vision uh, or interpreting a vision of a great famine, a plague that was coming to the whole earth. And if you remember, it's the seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven fat ears of uh, grain, seven skinny ears of grain. And he predicts it, there'll be seven years of abundance and then seven years of the worst famine that's ever hit the earth. Pharaoh says, what can we do? Save up really good over the next seven years. And then you'll be able to prosper during the bad years. In fact, he said, all of the earth will come to Egypt to buy grain. from. You'll be so wealthy. It ends up with Pharaoh, ends up with everybody's property. So wealthy, so rich. And eventually, the very brothers who sold him into slavery and his father have to come to Egypt because they're starving to death and they need protection. They think that Joseph is dead. They have no idea. And so Joseph spots them as they've come into Egypt and has them brought before him. And when he reveals himself to them, right, it's not a rejoicing moment. They think, uh-oh. It's about to go bad for us. And then this is what he said. What you intended for evil, God is going to use for good to save many people. Look at me real quick. It is the first understanding that we have of what people, what the enemy, what life intends for evil. God can take it and use it for his purposes in your life. So even if you have a past, my, my direct thing would be to you. I'm not minimizing your past. I'm not mocking your past. I'm not saying that your past hasn't hurt you. I'm saying that God can use even your past. Yeah. And he can do good things with it. And I'm a living byproduct of the fact that your past doesn't have to be the thing that just suddenly lays a label on you or changes the arc of your future. If you know God, if you will serve God, if you will walk with God, God can use even those things that were intended for evil. 
So I put in my notes just a couple of thoughts here. I, I know this one. I, I got a little kickback on this last night. Not because I think people think I'm wrong, but I think they think it's sort of like, God, it's a little bitter, Pastor. When I was 11, my father was killed in a car accident. Good man. His name was John Leach. I was named after him. Tragic. Tragic. I, so when I say this, let me, let me try to unpack it just for a second. I don't believe in any way, shape, or form that it was God's plan for my dad to die in a car accident. I don't think that God was like in heaven, like causing cars to be at the right place so that he died in a car accident. Don't misunderstand me, but understand this. It was in that event that my mother's heart was opened to hear the gospel. And my mother found Jesus during that time. And because of her finding Jesus, her sons found Jesus. Look at me real quickly. I'm not saying that God wanted my dad to die, but God has used the death of my father so that I'm standing up here in front of you right now. He can use what was intended to hurt us, to devastate us, to knock us to the ground, to keep us from having a future. God uses a thing that was meant to rob your future to give you a better future. And that's the truth. And I think the kickback was like people thinking, you think that God planned for your father to die? No, I think that God used the fact that my father died. God wasn't suddenly like, well, I can't do anything with this. God was able to go to work instantly. And while I wouldn't look at me, I, if I could go back and change it, I'd change it in a second, but I would not trade my salvation for anything. And I bet if my dad were standing here right now, knowing the way that it turned out, I bet he would say, hey, somehow it was worth it if they know Jesus. Can you agree with that? Man, think about that for a moment. How about the building recently? I wanted to share a little bit more about this. You know, if you've been here, it's like if you're new, you're, you're going to hear this for the first time. No harm, no foul, don't, whatever. But if you've been with me and walked through this for the past several months, let me, let me connect some dots right now. Um, we are excited for our new building. And we believe that the first big date in the new building will be Christmas. I think that's going to be the grand opening. We're doing everything that we can. We may get it a little bit before then, but that'll be the first, God willing, Say God willing with me. God willing. God willing, that'll be the first big date in the building, right? And so architects are hard at work right now. Builders are working on all the schedules. And I mean, everything, financing is all, you know, all of that's working together right now. And they're creating a 3D walkthrough that I'll be able to show you the building. The plans are being finalized. I will show, when I can show it to you, you're going to, you're going to love it. I'll just say, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. There's so, the teaching and training center, Yes, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to show you that. It's, it's just the sanctuary, all of it. But you know that that was, not the, that was not the building initially that we put all of our effort into. While we had both buildings and we were looking at both buildings, the CU South Denver building, that, that's where I had pointed our direction at and was putting uh, a majority of our effort into it. And in the middle of that thing, if you remember, right in the middle of that thing, I had made that statement, if the, if the uh, uh, who are the people that vote? What are they called? Regents, thank you. You know, does anybody else have that happen to you now? Like... I know the word, but I can't get it to come to my mouth anymore. And I, it's like right here, but it, there's a disconnect that has happened to me. And that makes me so mad. I don't know if God can use that, to be honest with you. That just might be what we suffer with in this world. All right. So I said, if the regents vote in favor of this, done deal. 
And there are nine regents. It's voted eight to one in our favor. But then instantly, there's a couple of addendums stuck on the contract. And one of them was that if there are any known issues with the building, the people that are selling it don't have to reveal those things to us, which is actually illegal unless you put an addendum in a contract. And we're like, what is this? We can't say yes to that. And so honestly, we lost that building because I said, we can't do that. And then I had to stand up here and tell people, I, I don't know why. And look silly and look like, like pastor, what do you do? I don't know why. And then without looking at it, we find out that there's foundation trouble with that building and that a claim's been paid on that building and they don't pay claims twice on buildings. And there's all sorts of things with it. And I got it from two different sources, insurance and from a builder, not looking for it, who told me you're fortunate. Look at me real quickly. God uses even things that might have been used, maybe it was designed for our evil, but yet our God designed it to get us right where we need to be in space and time. Anybody in here glad that God didn't give you your way and that he had his way in your life? You ever prayed for like, that's the person that I want, and you're glad that God didn't say yes to that? Yeah. Anybody in here like that? Some of you are like, well, he, he did say yes, Pastor. And I... <laughs> that's another message for another time. <laughs> God can use evil for good. Genesis 50, 20, um, I just want to read it to you. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You know, sometimes we just simply think, I, I just don't understand how God, why would God allow this? How could God allow this? Why would God want this? I, I think you're looking at it the wrong way. I don't think God ever wants evil in our lives. I'm just saying that God can use, God is bigger than, look, if God were playing poker and he had a pair of twos, he can still win the hand. Right? The enemy is no match for God. It's not against evil versus good. Little devil, huge creator. God already wins. Uh, all the way back to the book of Genesis. Actually, the very first prophecy ever given that God will take evil and do good. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's, um, it was a prophecy about the enemy and about Jesus. And this is what it said. All these years, all the way back to the beginning, speaking to the enemy, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. Meaning, you, yeah, you'll nail him to a cross, but by nailing him to the cross, he's going to crush your head. God takes what was meant for evil and does good with it in the world. It's just, that's the way that it is. And so that doesn't mean that we, we run out looking then for evil so that good can happen. Trust me, that's not the way that you do it. But as you're living life, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. Meaning that when trouble comes our way, it doesn't suddenly derail God's purpose, plan, or ability in our life. If you love God, God can use everything. To do good with. Amen? Amen? Amen to that. Here's the second one. Uh, God uh, can't change the past, but God can forgive the past. That, sh that should do a little more than that, right? There. God can forgive your past. Some of us had things done to us, and that's one level, but some of us did things to others. 
it's always quiet when you go in those places. Some of us are guilty. Some of us carry shame from the things that we did. Some of us wish we could go back and change it. You know the problem with a regret is that a regret never comes with a warning that this is going to be a regret. A regret shows up years later, doesn't it? And you wish at the time you would have been more aware of what it was and you just simply you didn't. And now you have this regret and you can carry this regret. And then the enemy is great at this. Not only is he good at tempting you to do the thing, but then he's great at condemning you because you did the thing. Just come at you both ways. So the good news today is God can't change the past, but he can forgive the past. First uh, John 1, 9. Just love this scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This would be a normal practice of a believer. That we all struggle and we all fail and we all find ourselves wanting to do better or maybe unable to break free or maybe there's a habit that's inconsistent with the fact that you're a believer. Not in this service, but in some of our services. People have habits that are inconsistent with the fact that they're believers. But the bottom line is the way that you deal with it is this right here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive you. God is merciful. God is full of grace. God is willing that if you come to him and ask him, forgive me, God will forgive you. He will forgive you. And you don't need to walk holding on to these things, thinking that if, if this just hadn't happened, my life would have been so different. Look, I, and of course, someone will come and say, Pastor, you're, you're just talking about regular things. If you knew my thing, you wouldn't be so glib when you say that. You're right. I will humble myself and say, I am sure there are situations in this room to which I sound uh, trite when I say it, but I don't mean it trite. It doesn't change the fact that regardless of what happened, our God is merciful. Our God is a redeemer. Our God is a restorer. Our God is able to put things back together that are broken. That's who he is and that's what he does. One of his names is repairer of the breach. He puts back together what's broken in your life. Man, one of my favorite stories that illustrates God's mercy and the way that he works in our life, the woman caught in adultery. It's John chapter 8. Um, so uh, the Bible doesn't give a lot of details on how it happens exactly. It just picks the story up. Um, a woman is caught in the very act of adultery. So, I mean, right? She's with a married man, and um, in the act of adultery, They've rendezvoused, I don't know at what level of rendezvous, but right, they're caught in the very act of adultery. And so they seize her, bringing her to Jesus, not because they're interested in Jesus's wisdom and how he'd handle it. They're interested in trapping him. And that's what the narrative says. So the story goes this way. We caught this woman in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses says we can stone her. What do you say? And then there's a little narrative that says they did not ask him this because they're interested in how he would handle this. They're looking for a way to trap him and to cause him to be guilty. And then here's wisdom. Here's brilliance. Here's, this is beauty. Beauty doesn't argue. Beauty doesn't come up with some kind of a, uh, you know, like let me, let me triumph in natural uh, arguing with you. This is, br brilliance kneels on the ground and begins to write. What 
I don't know, but let's use our imagination. Maybe the names of those men and maybe their sins so that everybody could see their sin, just like everybody sees this woman's sin. And then he stands up, this is brilliant. If you don't have any sin, please throw the first stone. Gulp, uh-oh, what are you gonna do at that moment? Not only are you gonna have to like lie about it, but perhaps your sin's been written right. Maybe Jesus writes the first three words of your sin. Ready to fill in the blank if you don't drop the stone. And then it says this, from the oldest to the youngest, they drop their stones and walk away. So what is that? Maybe it's the fact that when you're older, maybe there's a little more wisdom and humility that says, get out of here while the getting's good. Right? Who knows? But from oldest to youngest, they drop their stones to where it's eventually empty. No one is standing there. And then here it is right here. Then Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Uh, She looks around. No one, Lord, then neither do I condemn you. That's powerful, but it doesn't end right there. (laughs) Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now, go and sin no more. You know what Jesus was always good at? He was great at mercy and truth. And the church today is either really good at only truth or really good at only mercy. And we have trouble blending the two things together. And if we're going to do it in a life-giving way, we have to be merciful and tell the truth at the same time. Did you just understand what I said? So like when we're dealing with so many things in the world today that the church feels so paralyzed, we have got to figure out God's wisdom. How do we exercise mercy and tell the truth? How do we bring the two things together at the same time? I don't know that you hear what I'm saying right now. It's It's hard to do, but we have the example of wisdom right here in front of us. There are ways, but they're not of the natural mind. They're ways that God has to lead us so that we know how to handle these things and respond to these things. And just what I love about this story, man, is that this woman definitely has a past. If you connect who she is, she's a prostitute. This woman has a past. She's got a label. She's not a person who makes a lot of money. She's on the outskirts of society. She's not someone who would be an invited guest at dinner. And yet Jesus has found a way to honor those who haven't been honored before. I love that about Jesus. The only reason I come to the table is because he chose to honor me. I have no pedigree that brings me to the table in front of you today. I have no background. <laughs> I have no, some level of higher education that, like that I can put up and say a Duke Theological Seminary. <laughs> Nothing like that. Jimmy Swaggart Bible College. <laughs> I got a pass too, right there. <laughs> The only thing that brings me to the table is that God honored me. So the only thing that brings you to the table is because God honored you too. Get over yourself, man. Get off of your high horse. None of us deserved anything except truthfully what we earned. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life, eternal life. All of us are here because we've been honored by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our God is merciful. Why do we mess up that good news when we're talking to other people about our God? Do you know that 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says that God has given to us the church, the ministry of reconciliation. 
Our ministry, everybody in this room has a ministry. Your ministry is to persuade people to be reconciled to God, not to persuade them that they're under judgment, not to persuade them that they're wrong, not to persuade them that they're messed up, that their pasts are all kinked up. Your job is to persuade people that God loves them and wants to be reconciled with them. Second Corinthians chapter five, read it for yourself. The ministry God's given to every one of us is the ministry of reconciliation. That's good news, folks. That's good news. Your job is to reconcile people, to use truth and to use mercy to do that. Hmm. God can forgive the past. Let me say this though, because I think this is important. I, I don't think that like uh, we just leave it up to God to reconcile the past. I think sometimes God can use us to help reconcile the past. So I'm gonna give you an example. Now you might think this is like silly, but I, it's just, this is mine. It's something that God did in my life. I didn't do this in order to have an illustration to give to you. It's just something that God did with me. But I think maybe it helps you understand that like if we do have a past and we did cause some things, God is merciful. But sometimes in that mercy, God might have us be a, a, a tool that he can use to help bring mercy or help bring healing in somebody else's life. Are you willing to be used by God? All right, so here, um, in 81, it's 40 years ago. Yes, I know, Kathy, that's horrible, right? 40, so I was 17 years old, 17. My brother was 16. I'm the oldest of three boys, so the one that's closest to me, we're only uh, 18 months apart, and then my youngest brother, we're closer to 10 years apart, over nine years apart, right? Um, and so obviously the one that's, you know, right there, he was the one when I was growing up that we, we did everything together and hung out together. So when I was 17 and he was 16, uh, we went to see an REO Speedwagon concert. And if you're like, what is that? <laughs> you missed the eighties. Uh, so they were at McNichols arena. You might, anybody remember? McNichols. Anybody go to a concert at McNichols? Let me just see real quick. There's a few of you. And some of you are so holy, you don't even know what a concert is, right? You're like, I only listen to the brother music. Okay. Um, so we went to this concert and I, I need to um, say this in a right way. He had saved up his money to buy a t-shirt. Like that was the cool thing. And all the t-shirts then in the early eighties, if you were there and you remember, they were like baseball jerseys, right? They had the sleeves that were a different color. And then this part was white. And then it had the REO on the back of it. And it was 1981 tour. My brother had saved up his money, he worked at an ice cream place, saved up his money in order to get a t-shirt. And his big brother, we get to the concert and I talked him into taking his t-shirt money and buying something that we shouldn't have bought. And I had more people contact me last night that have my email wanting to know, what was it that you bought? Why do you care? Why does that matter to you? It was a big cup of Pepsi. How about that? Does that help you? Is that like... <laughs> And, you know, I was the big brother, and he was the little brother, and he wanted a T-shirt, and I didn't care about his T-shirt. I wanted to do something else, so I didn't have any money, and I talked him into using his money for that. And then every once in a while, he would say to me, man, I wished I would have got that T-shirt. And I knew what he was saying. John. And, you know, it's minor. It doesn't alter. It doesn't, you know... We both love the Lord now, our lives. But the problem with a regret is that you just don't know at the time it's going to be a regret. Yeah. 
And regrets, some are major, like a betrayal. Maybe something that was done to you when you were little and couldn't do anything back. And sometimes they're just silly, like you exercised your will and you just hurt somebody. I hurt my brother. And I knew I needed to make it right. So in the last year, just how did you know you needed to make it right, Pastor? Listen to me, I'm gonna tell you how you know. After 40 years, if you're still thinking about that thing, you need to make it right. We all know in our lives, we do things and sometimes we never think about them again. Those aren't the things. But if that thing stays in your heart and it keeps bothering you, it keeps coming back, what do you think that is? What do you think that is? So I began to scour, how can I find an REO Speedwagon t-shirt from a concert in 1981? And there are actually companies, not in America, but companies <laughs> that make t-shirts from different years and different concerts. And I found the exact t-shirt that my brother wanted and in the right size. And man, here's the deal with them. When you're looking for something that specific, they know they can charge you whatever they want to charge. <laughs> And so I paid up to get the t-shirt, but that wasn't the good part. I wrote my brother a letter, and I just said, I remember this. And if I could go back in the past and change it, this is one of the things that I would change. I would have honored you. I wouldn't have done this to you. I wouldn't have put any wedge ever between the two of us. You're one of my very best friends. And so I just write this to him, and then at the end of it, I said, and I found this for you. And I reach in the bag, and I hand it to him. It's my brother, we're eating breakfast, and he opens it up, <laughs> and he doesn't say anything. He lowers it, and tears are coming down. And of course, then it gets me. I start crying. So two grown men at a breakfast place <laughs> are crying over an Oreo Speedwagon t-shirt. And so we're walking out of the restaurant, and my brother just grabs me. And he said, John, there's no one, no other man I respect more than I respect you. It's little, and I, I know you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, that's just so trite. I, it's mine. It just belongs to me, okay? It was just for me and my brother. But I only share, sometimes God does forgive, but sometimes we can do things to set the past right. Yeah. And when you can, do it. Pay the money. Say you're sorry. Write the letter. Reach out while you can still reach out. Why? Because it aids in somebody else being whole, and you'll be surprised the healing that it'll bring to your heart too. I love my brother. I love him. And I'd do anything for him, including going back 40 years to make something right. 
Here's the third one. God can't change the past, but God can alter your future. Romans 8, 28. Look, if you don't have like a favorite scripture, if you don't have a scripture that you read over your life, that you read over your spouse, that you read over your children and your grandchildren, if you don't have a scripture that you're reading over your business or your dreams or your plans or your health, if you don't have a scripture that you're reading over your church and your pastor and your friends, if you don't have a scripture that you're like saying out loud to God, God, I want this in my life, then let me, can I fill in a blank for you? Romans 8, 28 is one of my all-time favorite verses. Look at this. We know that God causes what? Say it again. We know that God causes to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Every day over your children, I know that God uses everything to do good in their life. Even the things that right now I don't like that are going on. He can use not just the things that I think are good. God can use everything. Say it over your health. Say it over your mind. Say it over your daughter. Say it over your friends. Why would you do it? Because the promises of God belong to you. They're not just written so that we read those things and go, oh, that's neat. I'm glad somebody else has. They're yours. This is your inheritance. What will you do with your inheritance? Why would we read these things and just go, what great poetry? Why wouldn't we say, I want that in my life? And what do you believe about the promises of God? Are they for you? Are you so far, so hard, so indifferent that I can say these things and they don't penetrate your heart? Or is there still room in there where the Holy Spirit can put his finger on it and say, come on, come on, come alive. Did you hear me? Come alive. Don't sit there anymore and just be complete. Come alive, man. Don't die till you're dead. Come alive. Come on. These things are for you. God cannot change the past, but he can alter your future. I got two questions for you, and then I'm done. Here's number one. Where would you have ended up if Jesus didn't get involved in your life? Think about that for just a moment. That's really hard to speculate. I get it. But if we were just for a moment to let our imaginations run, yes or no, if Jesus didn't get involved in your life, it would have been a messed up affair, wouldn't it? I can just tell you right now. And so then here's the other question. If you were to surrender to God right now, what could change in your future? Where could you be? We get so used to religion and the inoculation of religion that they make us feel okay, but it doesn't change anything. Jesus didn't come to make you feel okay. Jesus came to change everything. To change everything. Top to bottom, side to side, front to back, everything. Everything. So I wrote this in my notes. Uh, What response would I love to see today? These three things. I would love for you to experience mercy and forgiveness if your past is haunting you. And I can promise you, God offers that to you today. I would love for you to surrender your life to Christ if you have not done that. I'm not asking you if you know about God. I'm assuming that most of you in this room can give me a definition, but do you know him? Do you know him? Do you walk with him? Do you know what his voice sounds like? Do you know that he's working on your behalf? Do you know him? Because if you don't, what could happen if you surrendered your life to Christ today? Everything would change. And then the third one, this would be the one that I would just ask for. If something in your past is just shaming you, 
is holding you, is tying you, is, has put a hook in you, uh, is cursing you. I'm looking for the right uh, description. If something in your past, just if you're running from it, if you're hiding it, if you're trying to keep people from finding out about it, if you feel like if people just knew, I, I, I just don't know how I could even survive this, then I would ask today that God would set you free from shame and fear. That he would set you free. That you would not walk out of this building the way that you walked in. That you would not just be smarter about this subject, but that you would experience God's realistic, awesome, powerful, life-changing touch, man. That you would have that happen to you. And so how do I facilitate that for people? Is this where human knowledge is insufficient completely? I have no ability of myself right now to do anything only the Holy Spirit can take this and do something with it. Yeah. What do you say about it? What would you want? If any of those three touch you and you were to say, God, I would want you to do that in my life. I, I'm not asking you, like, like, how did you grow up? Are you used to this? Are you comfortable with this? Please, we need to put all those things aside for a moment. Quit coming up with arguments that keep us from experiencing Jesus. Put them all aside right now. All pretense aside, God, here I am. Just as I am, here I am. Set me free from shame. God, help me to surrender fully. God, I want to experience your mercy and forgiveness. I'm not just up here talking for my own good. I'm not just up here saying things that sound good. These are true and real and right things. This is God's will and heart for you today. It doesn't matter if you're an attender or a visitor. It doesn't matter if you have this background uh, or not. It doesn't matter if you're never coming back again. In this moment in time, you have this opportunity to experience God who transcends all of these things. So where are you at with what I'm saying? And if all together... One, two, three, touch your heart and you're just like, Pastor, I, I feel God speak to me. I know that God needs to do this in me. I want God to do this. Pray for me today, John. If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. Just pray for me, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just hold them there for a second. No one's looking. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just want to see who I'm praying for. Yeah, yeah, you can put them back down. There's many of us. So, again, I just want to be clear. <coughs> Pastor John has no psychology that can make this any better. The only thing that I'm hopeful in is that our God is here. That his spirit is active right now. And that he loves us. And so, I want to pray against shame any person in this room who wears a coat of shame maybe because of what someone did to you or maybe maybe you're guilty doesn't matter any person who has a label and shame has become a companion it's become a a familiar. It's not God's purpose 
that shame direct your life. It's not God's purpose that shame make you afraid and cause you to hide. It's not God's purpose that shame be your constant companion. So in the only name under heaven given by which anybody can be saved, that name is Jesus, I rebuke shame off of your life right now. I set you free from shame. I set you free from that condemnation. I set you free from that ugly thing that has just become so familiar to you. In the name of Jesus, every hook of shame and embarrassment that's grabbed hold of your life right now, man, I chop those things off of you. I say they have no place. They are not your destiny. They are not your future. They are not the familiar part of your life. No more in the name of Jesus. And I pray where shame has to let go, where the blood of Christ can wash it away, I pray instead of shame, purpose. I pray God's love and God's design in your life. I pray that the things that God says about you and the things that God has for you become the familiar and become the known and become your constant companion. I pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit would overwhelm this shame. So I feel like almost, <laughs> I feel like, um, so I feel like somebody's taking medication in order to deal with shame. And I feel like the Lord wants to say to you that the medicine's not going to be necessary after this. That you're not going to need to hide from it, numb it. Um, almost what I see is like shame is above you, pressing down on you, and you're just like, you keep crouching more and more. It's just pushing you down. And so in order to deal with that, you've had to uh, medicate. And I feel like the Lord is saying that he is the medicine, that he is, he, he is, he is, he is able. And so I pronounce that over your life right now. For those of you who need to experience God's forgiveness, then you know what I say to you? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Not that I'm anyone other than a representative of Christ right now, but I say to you, you are forgiven that the handwriting of offense that was against you has been nailed to the cross of Christ, taken out of the way, and that's the truth, and the devil is simply a good liar. He's just a good liar. But I say to you, you can and will experience the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And not only just so that you feel free, but so that you can also be that to other people. I pronounce that on you. And last but not least, that surrender issue. You know, sometimes it's in an initial relationship with God that we surrender. But sometimes, uh, as believers, we just struggle with the lordship issue. Giving everything to the Lord. Not just the easy things, not just the common things, but everything. The hidden things. The things that we think, well, I don't want God to take that. Whatever it would be. Man, I just encourage you right now, bow your knee fully to God and to his lordship. Where could you be if you surrender everything to the Lord? Don't let the enemy any longer tell you you're going to lose if you do this. Begin to think in terms of what you gain, how good our God is and all that he wants for you. Man, I pray that he opens your eyes, your ears, your heart, and that you begin to long after these things 
<laughs> you go after these things that you find yourself in full surrender to our Father. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.